following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship, St. Pete, in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Lord, we thank you so, so much for your love. We thank you so much for your care for us. We thank you that you are calling us in um, to be in Christ, to be one with him. And God, we just dedicate this entire time to you. Lord, we, we praise your name for all your gifts and all your benefits. And we pray that um, we would honor and glorify you um, with how we, we listen, how we teach, and how um, we seek after you. And Lord, we pray these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Well, this sermon follows on the heels of uh, a fantastic message that we heard last week. Uh, If you weren't here, um, Pastor Colin preached on uh, the verses that lead up to this in in this chapter, uh, John 13, and that's where we'll we'll continue in and we'll finish out the chapter, or we'll at least continue in the chapter. Um, And what happened in those verses is that we we saw the Last Supper and how Jesus uh, gave a morsel of bread to Judas and he revealed to John that that was his betrayer and that Judas was going to go on to betray the Son of Man into the hands of the Pharisees. And that's the context of what we're, we're looking at this morning and it's a very sobering thing because Christ is going to go on to say some more sobering things. And he's gonna, there's going to be encouragement and there's going to be warning. And we're going to begin here this morning looking at that. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn to John 13 verses. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 31 through 38. And I'm going to begin by reading uh, verse 31 through 32. And we're going to comment. We're going to work our way through the passage. And then, Lord willing, by the end, we're going to look at some points of application. So to begin, 31. When he had gone out, talking about Judas there, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. So what does this mean? It sounds, if you just read over it, it's, it's easy to read, just kind of skip over what he's really trying to say because it kind of sounds circular. It's kind of a, 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 a style that, that John often has in his writing. It sounds very, sometimes it can even sound convoluted, but if we can look at it uh, line by line, the clarity um, can, can kind of rise to the surface, uh, surface here when he says, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified. How is he glorified? What does it mean to glorify? How is the Son of Man going to be glorified in what's about to happen? Jesus has just given the, 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 the morsel of bread to Judas. So what is about to happen? Judas is about to go to the Pharisees. And he is about to betray the Son of Man into the hands of his enemies. Now is the Son of Man glorified because it is set in motion a series of events that will eventually lead to his crucifixion. And we know that Jesus Christ is slain before the foundation of the world. So really, all of creation is leading up to this point. But Jesus, as a man who is, who is God in the flesh, is now realizing in his human nature that now it's set. 
it's a, it's, it's a special point in history because now it's finalized and that the fact, and that it's set in motion in its final stages. What's going to lead to his crucifixion? It's very, very sobering. It's a sobering moment for Christ. But how is he glorified? Philippians 2, 8 through 9 brings clarity to this. And being a fat, Jesus, being found in human form, he humbled himself and becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. It was through the cross that Jesus was going to be glorified because he was doing the will of the Father. How is it, though? It goes on, it says, if God is glorified in him, he will also glorify him in himself. Philippians, again, Philippians 2, the uh, the following verses, 10 through 11. So that in the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So all the things that are happening here, the the betrayal and eventually the crucifixion and, and, and the resurrection... All of these things have a purpose, and the purpose of that is to glorify the Father. The the Father is glorifying the Son, and the Son is glorifying the Father. The Son is glorifying the Father by obedience and by acting as a propitiation for our sins. That is a covering for our sins, and then through that, the Father is glorified because this is the plan from the beginning. Jesus Christ went to the cross for so many reasons. He went... For the joy that set before him, Hebrews 12.2, to claim a bride, Ephesians 5.32, to restore creation in Romans 8.20-23, to redeem a people for good works, Titus 2.14. It was obedience to the, in obedience to the Father, Philippians 2.8, and it was for the sake of love in John 3.16. For God so the love, loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But here, Christ is focusing in on something that is so far beyond. It is so transcendent. It is the glory of God. Romans 3, uh, 25 through 26. Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine divine forbearance, he passed over the former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It was to show the righteousness of God and the mercy of God at the same time. Because God cannot justify or forgive sins and still be holy unless somebody pay for those sins. That's the only way God can be merciful. That's the only way he can be the just and the justifier. And so why is Christ saying this? This is kind of he- kind of heavy theology. This is like theology that goes up into the very um, council, the inter-Trinitarian council of God between God the Father and God the Son. So this is all kind of like high thinking, high theology. Christ is about to go to the cross 
And in that moment, he focuses his mind on the glory of God. This is what it all comes down to. This is what it's all about. This is, this is what goes all the way back to the garden where uh, God said, uh, uh, someone will come from the line of Eve that will, that will, he will, he will bruise your heel and then he will crush his head. Christ facing death focuses his mind on the glory of God. Verse 33, where I am going, you cannot come. Little children, yet a little while, I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus does not just do things without warning. His heart is so dedicated in devotion to his disciples that he warns them of all kinds of things. He warns them about his coming death. He warns, he warns the church about the coming destruction of Jerusalem. He warns us about the coming of the Lord. And how, in Matthew 24 and Luke 21, he's talking about the end of the age. He is, he is standing in the role of a prophet and warning the people of God of coming things that will shake their faith. And he calls them, and I love this, little children. A term of endearment that is so intimate and so full of devotion to them. And, and in our fallen state, we may be tempted to recoil, you know, that, that some sort of pejorative term. And they, you know, they were the manly men. These were men who were manly, who were coming from, from a place of strength in their mind. Zeal and patriotism and dedication to the son of David and, and to the Messiah. But he calls them little children. And all this time, I'm reading through uh, Matthew uh, in my devotion, uh, devotions, and it's amazing. He warns them three times, at least, about his coming death. He also teaches them three times about how they have to become, if they're, if they're interested in being part of the kingdom of heaven, it's becoming like a child. And he calls them little children. And essentially, we know that, right? As, as the Holy Spirit comes and transforms us, we don't mind high things. But we condescend to those of low estate. We don't, we don't think of ourselves more highly than we think. We know that when we look inside our hearts, we see the feelings and emotions of a little child. And we just need love. And when we see ourselves that way, we come to our Father and just ask for love and guidance. And there's, and there's that shedding of self-reliance and pride. And we're going to see Jesus deal with that because they're not there yet. And we're going to see Jesus deal with that in just a second. But first, verse 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. So also you also to love one another. I read that wrong. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So how's this a new commandment? In the Old Testament, you're to love your neighbor as yourself. That's a pretty high command, isn't it? But this goes far, far beyond that, right? Because he's now saying to them, even as I have loved you, have loved one, for, loved one to another. Well, how has Christ loved them? We saw in previous messages that he loved them to the uttermost, 
But now we're going to see his love in action when he's betrayed, when he is arrested, when he is flogged, when he is spit upon, when they pull out his beard, when they charge him uh, unnecessarily and unjustly, and then finally when they nail him to the cross and he dies for the sin of humanity. They're going to see his love manifested in a way that's going to blow their minds. Not only that, he tastes the unmixed wrath of Almighty God for the sake of humanity. And now he turns to them, and this is before they've seen that, but they're going to see that. And he says, even as I have loved you, so love one another. This is a standard so far beyond what anyone has ever seen. No eye has heard, no, no, no eyes have behold, but beheld. This is, this is absolutely transcendent. And we can't do that. The disciples can't do that without God. Without God demonstrating it and without God manifesting it. Even if, as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. This is the distinguishing trait of who we are. This isn't just a command, just another command about something that we're to perform, an ordinance or something that we're responsible for. This is a distinguishing trait that before the world, when they see us, this is, this is what is going to show that we're even different from the world at all. What makes us different from any other religion? What makes this different than any other philosophy or belief system? No one else has this kind of love. No one else has the power of the Holy Spirit to manifest love that is so sacrificial that we would be willing to die for one another. It's a miracle. This, this, this kind of love is a gift from God. There's no other explanation. So when the, when the, church, when the church is seen by the world... And we're obeying this commandment. They are convicted of the fact that we are actually true disciples. Number one, that there is a God. Number two, that God is actually having dealings with human beings at all. And number three, that we are actually in that. We're actually a part of that. We're actually a part of the manifestation of what God is doing on earth. By this, you will know that you are my disciples. In verse 36 through 38, you will deny me. That's what this is about. Goes on. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Now that Peter Peter responds to the things that Jesus has been saying and he jumps on a particular thing that Christ said. He doesn't want to talk about the new commandment. He doesn't want to talk about the glory, how he's going to glorify God and why he's glorifying him now as opposed to some other time because it says I will glorify him at once. He's not interested in the high philosophy or the high theology He's not interested in the distinguishing traits. He's zeroing in on where I am going, you cannot follow. Where are you going? 
Peter wants to follow him right now. Not only does he want to follow him right now, but he wants to he follows it up with a declaration of his devotion. He wants to make sure that Jesus understands that he is worthy to follow him now because of the level of his devotion. His devotion is so strong that he is willing to lay down his life for Christ. Is that devotion something that is just fake? Is he just saying this to sound holy? Peter's serious. Jesus does not question his sincerity. But Jesus does know something. He knows. Jesus is the ultimate prophet. Jesus, when he came in his earthly ministry, he manifests himself as prophet, priest, and king. He referred to himself as a prophet. A prophet is not without honor except for those among his own countrymen. And he prophesied so many different things. And he gives a personal word of prophecy to Peter. And he says, before the rooster crows three times, or before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. There's nothing Peter can say that can go against the ultimate prophet, the final prophet, final in the sense that he is the ultimate So now that we've covered the passage, just a couple words of application. We'll go through it in order. A new commandment, first of all. I'm going to read John 15, 13, because it just gives the whole thing context. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. That's what we're called to. We're called to a level of devotion that goes beyond, I think, even what we typically think of as love for one another within the body of Christ. This is a complete devotion that goes to the level of what Christ gave. That's what we're called to. That's the aim. That's, that's what the command is. That's the new command. Are we doing that here? This is like one of, almost everybody who comes here says, this is like the most loving church I've ever come to. Are we do, are, but are we following... To that level, are we are we really taking the command seriously? Are we really loving one another as Christ loved us? Paul, as the body of Christ, we are part of him. So when we love each other, we're loving Christ. And when Christ loves us, he often loves us through each other. Acts 9.4, when Paul came in contact with with Christ on the road to Damascus, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He was persecuting the church. But Christ said, why are you persecuting me? Because when Christ looks down, he sees members of his own body. Do we see each other as members of Christ's body? So that when we have a disagreement or when we are, have hurt feelings or we, we want to um, fight for ourselves and and. And, 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 and have a little jostling one-upmanship. Are we seeing each other as members of Christ's body? Do you ever find yourself in the church going from person to person, feeling offended, having strife with one another, feeling left out, looked over? Is it possible that when you look at others, you are looking at others in a way that you are trying to get something from them instead of give something to them. Could it be possible that you're not loving? Because when we walk in love, 
The concern is not, what are people giving me? The concern is, what am I giving to them? Am I coming to church? Am I coming to church to just receive? Or am I coming to give? Am I coming to give edification, give love? I heard a sermon once where somebody said, well, that church wasn't loving over there. Well, why not? You were there. If you walked in and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you and you're a representation of Christ on earth, then it has to be a loving place, at least where you are, the, the atmosphere that you're creating, the, 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 the fragrance that your life is giving off. Are we manifesting the love of Christ? We've already been loved. We've been given so much love. If we're walking in the Holy Spirit, then it's almost like it's almost like it's just bubbling over, and we don't. It's like everybody's rushing to serve one another. Everybody's jostling to love one another, and you almost don't want it coming to you because you've just got so much joy you want to share with everybody else. You don't need to feel any love from somebody coming up because you're already living loved. But at the same time, we need each other, right? At the same time, God has constructed the body of Christ in such a way that we don't walk completely, even though Christ is more than enough, he's constructed the body in such a way that Christ's manifestation, being the church, we can't, we can't walk the way he intended to walk without each other. So we walk in love with one another and we experience the love of Christ through one another coming toward us and it completes us. Colossians 1, 24 through 25, Paul writes to the Colossians, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Christ in his sovereignty could choose to make the God of the, 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 the word of God fully known through the Holy Spirit just downloaded right into our brains. So easy. He could do it in a second. But he doesn't do that because he wants to use us. He wants to commission us. He wants us to have unity with him as he ministers to the church. So we minister to the church. And Paul said, I'm so glad that I can come to you. And make the word of God fully known. And it was never going to become fully known unless he went there. If he didn't go there, it wasn't going to become fully known. That's the will of God. That's the way it works in his sovereignty. We teach each other. We teach each other in the way we, we walk, and the way we, we talk to one another. Just because I, I may have the gift of teaching doesn't mean I'm the only teacher. I'm one of, I guess, a hundred people are here this morning. I'm one of a hundred. We're all teaching one another. In the way that we act, in the way that we say things, in the way that we treat one another, we're teaching. It says says that the younger, uh, the, the older women are to teach the younger women. So that means that your future as a young woman is a teacher. You're going to be a teacher. How so? Well, when you become an older woman, you'll be teaching the younger women to love their husbands and etc., If you're a young man, your future is the teacher. That's your future, leadership. It's the future of every single member of the body of Christ is leadership. That young man will grow up and teach the younger men to be sober-minded and etc. That's our future. That's our present. We're teaching one another. They shall know that you are my disciples 
This is how the world, so point number two of, of application, the, the way the world knows that we've even been saved is our love for one another. The, the world isn't interested in just doctrine. They're not interested in you giving a, a theological or intellectual treatise. Though they're, they're, that's important, right? People, have call, people are called to that. People are called to an apologetic ministry. But at the end of the day, if there's no love behind that, there's no power in it. They're not interested. They're not supposed to be interested. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I love that. It's just, it's just perfect. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And if we manifest this love, they're going to be blown away. And they're already being blown away. People have seen this church at Pasa Grill and other places when we come together and they're just like walking by and they're like, hey, what's going on over there? That looks different. It doesn't look just like a regular group of people. It looks like a group of people that are so devoted to one another in love that they can't ignore it. They want to ignore it. People love to ignore Christians and they love to ignore Christianity because it implies responsibility and accountability. But they can't ignore that. They can't ignore coming in here and just being like, oh, I think I'll go to church one day because it's Christmas or something. And then they see us. They're going to try to ignore it, but they can't. They're like, there's something there. There's something real. And the, and the world is longing for something real. They're longing to see something real. That's why people get mixed up in the occult and false religions and all this stuff. They're just looking for something to fill that void. They want to see the real. They want to see... They want to see love. Are we loving as much as we can, though? I don't think so. I, I think we can grow even more. We can grow even more. What would that even look like? I mean, it's already so loving. I don't know. You know? It's the most loving church ever. But look at First Thessalonians 4, 9 through 10. This was like the loving church, right? Everybody knew them. These guys were loving. Now, concerning brotherly love... You have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. See, it was, it, it was a command, but it was also a prophecy, right? This, this, wasn't just this, this wasn't just something he was telling them to do. It was going to actually happen. And here it is, verse 10. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. So they were, these guys were ministering not just to the, to, to the members of the church and to the community. They were, they were ministering to the whole region of Macedonia. It's a pretty big region. They were known for this. And Paul exhorts them to abound in this more and more. And we'll never even... We'll, We'll never stop growing in this. No matter how much we grow in this, we'll never stop growing until we reach heaven and we, and we have the completeness. And there's two, there's two responses to this that we can have. We can either be discouraged if we look at ourselves and be like, well, I feel, I feel like I fall, I fall short of this. I'm the one that's always offended and people are offended by me and I'm like rocking the boat and threatening the unity of the church and... You know, 
You can get discouraged. Don't get discouraged. This is an encouragement. God is manifesting this. He is working this. You can see it all over the place. And, and we're just going to be growing in this more and more. And if you see this as a, a shortfall in your life and it's a conviction, praise the Lord. He's revealing it. He's revealing that to you so that you can grow in it. He's revealing that to you so that you can actually overcome in that area. The other, the other extreme would be to be like, well, we're here. <laughs> he just said we're like the most loving church ever. No. We, we grow. We, we continue to grow. You never, you never arrive. And that, that's what makes it so exciting. Because, I mean, I've seen the outpouring of love in certain co- uh, uh, contexts that have been so overwhelming that it just makes you want to cry. Right? Joseph and Tom brought us a, a, a new couch and a new love seat. And we were like, oh, thank you. Our couch is falling apart. And it's just a little token, just a little token of love. There's so, there, this thing goes so deep, we, can, we, can't, we can't exhaust it. Final point, you will deny me. Have you ever come to a place where you looked at your spiritual life and said, wow, I love God a lot. I'm strong. If persecution were to come to me now, I would lay down my life for Christ. Have you ever come to that place? That's that can be a very encouraging place but it can be a very dangerous place. I'm going to read this first, 1 Corinthians 10:11 through 12. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction. On whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So all that stuff is written down for a reason. There were lots of things that Jesus did and said. There was lots of things that that the apostles uh, did and said. And to the point where John said, I suppose all the volumes in the world couldn't hold all the things that Jesus did. But this is singled out and it's in multiple accounts of the gospel. Why? Because it's there for our instruction and for example and edification so that we could learn something. Learn something about zeal. Learn something about conviction. Learn something about humility and about dependence. What is it that we're supposed to learn? Well, one of the things that we're supposed to learn is not to do what what Peter did. That's for starters at least, right? What if I told you that some of you will deny Christ before tomorrow morning? What if I said that? What if I said everyone in here, all of you, will deny Christ before the sun rises? If you're sitting here and you'd be like, well, I would be like, no, I won't. Then this message is for you. This message is for you because that's exactly the attitude that this confronts. No, I won't. I've been saved for 30 years. I've been saved for 40 years. I've been in the ministry 30 years. I'm a pastor. I'm a, I'm a worship leader. I, I, I'm a Sunday school teacher. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a grandmother. I'm a grandfather in the faith. I'm a pillar in the church. We don't have any strength without Christ. We don't have that. We're not built that way. The Holy Spirit is built that way. He has the strength. 
What did Peter do? When Christ came to him and said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. What did he do? What did he say? In a parallel passage, Matthew 26, 34 through 35, he just doubled down. He did exactly what you'd expect Peter to do. He said, no, Lord, you don't understand. I'll go to my death for you. And they were all like, yeah, of course, of course we will. Don't you remember when Thomas said, let us go, that we may also die with him. They mean it. They mean business. And they acted on it. At least Peter, he pulled out a sword, right? We're going to get to that. He attacked. He, he, he made good on this promise. But Christ knew the truth of what it would eventually lead to, which was a, a loss of that temporary courage. It lasted for a hot second when his zeal and oh, how quickly emotion and conviction can just peter right out. It just, right? Kind of a funny expression. See, like that. It doesn't last long if it's in the flesh. It can be impressive. Even I am impressed. He pulled out a sword, right? I don't think anybody else did. It doesn't say that anybody else. They only had two swords, so who had the other one, right? I mean, he pulled it out. He attacked. The odds weren't good. Probably a lot more soldiers than fishermen, right? So this is, this is a courageous man. He's, he's not messing around. He means business big time. But the enemy was way stronger than him. Do you really think that you're stronger than a fallen angel who's been around for thousands of years practicing deception and, and brilliant beyond your little brain by who knows how much? Do you really think that you have any chance standing before the enemy? You don't. You're just a human being. He's a fallen angel. You need God's help. That's the only way it gets done. Before you ever have the strength to stand in courage, you must be able to turn to God in humility and say, I am so weak in my own strength. I'm so cowardice in my own strength that I need your strength. I need your strength. That's the only way. And, and Peter had to go through this. To bring him to a place where he saw, not just him, so that we can see. So that, because we just read that these things happened to, to them as examples. They were written down for our instruction. This wasn't just for Peter to learn how weak he could be in the flesh. It's also for us to learn how weak we can be in the flesh. If you see this weakness in yourself, and you're like, to be honest... People came in here with machine guns like they do in China and they kind of like lined us up and said, are you a Christian or not? To be honest, I might deny the Lord. Well, you're kind of you're kind of at an advantage if you see that in yourself because now you can cry out to God. That's where we're supposed to be. That's where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be looking at ourselves and being like, yeah, I don't have the strength. I just don't. My heart, I know my heart. My heart is weak. And it's at that moment, God can start to work, right? When we start to see our weakness, it's at that point that, that the Holy Spirit is free to work because we're not blocking him. He's free to come in and say, it's okay, I've got this. When it comes down to it, I will never leave you or forsake you. And I believe that we may see this kind 
of persecution in our day. And the temptation will be to be politically correct. It's already here. The slightest, the slightest temptation to back down from the true gospel feels like a heavy weight. The enemy is gaining ground and our country has gained a tremendous amount of ground, more than any of us probably could have ever thought 10 years ago. And now the pressure to compromise on issues is extremely high and it's only going to get worse. And the, and, and the temptation to say something like, well, Jesus isn't the only way. I believe everybody goes to heaven. Or, you know, to, to all of a sudden have that pop out of your mouth and be like, what did I just say? Right? And in that moment, you are going to go and you're going to look at yourself in the mirror and say, what have I become? And you're going to weep like Peter. But it doesn't have to be that way. Cry out to God for his grace. Come to him and present your weak heart to him and ask for him to strengthen you. And he will strengthen you. When that temptation comes, remember, Jesus is king. He's king. Doesn't matter who takes over. Doesn't matter who's in power. Jesus is king. It doesn't matter if everybody else falls away. And it looks like all the churches in, in, in our country have become apostate and nobody holds to the true gospel anymore. It doesn't matter because Jesus is king. He is the one who makes the final decision. Man shall not live by bread alone. Isn't that how Jesus resisted the enemy when he came against him? But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, as the worship team comes, I want to just say this final word of encouragement and bring it, bring it back around to living loved. Living loved is this calendar year's theme. We don't need to be loved by mere human beings because we've already been loved by the Father. We don't have to crave the love of the world because We've been loved by the Father. We don't need to fear those who would threaten to kill the body because we've been loved by the Father. We're living loved. And that's where this courage comes from. It doesn't come from anywhere else. It comes from the Word of God. It comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from being loved and transformed. And in that place, you will find a place of peace that nobody can understand, not even you. It's the peace that passes understanding. And this is, this is the encouragement. This is the encouragement. If you're walking now in turmoil, if you're walking now in fear, if you've denied Christ by your actions, denied Christ by, by, by not saying anything when you know God was calling you to give a testimony of the gospel, there's hope. There's hope for you. There's repentance. There's transformation. There's renewal. There's all the blessings of, of Christ in, in in godliness like this is this is here for us this is this is this is for us to lay hold of in faith and so it's my prayer for each one of us this whole thing is preaching to myself it's it's my prayer for all of us that we would stand in boldness he boldness he has already won the battle so praise god amen
Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.